God's sovereignty, God's sovereignty, God's dominion is what we are going to talk about. So we'll start off with just uh, a few definitions of what dominion means, what sovereignty means, what the word sovereign means. And then we'll get into more specifics. So the word dominion means sovereign or supreme authority, the power of governing and controlling. So if we take a look real quick at the book of Daniel and we'll see in Daniel chapter four, uh, verse 17, Daniel four seventeen. <clears throat> Daniel 4, 17 says this. It says this edict is by the resolution of the watchers and the decision is a command of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high is the powerful ruler over the kingdom of mankind and gives to whom he wishes and sets up over it the lowest the or sorry and sets up over it the lowliest of men. So we're talking about dominion here um, and it is also the power to direct control use and dispose of at pleasure it's the right of possession and use without being accountable as the private dominion of individuals the word sovereign it means supreme in power Possession, supreme dominion. God is the sovereign ruler of the universe. It also means supreme, superior to all all others. Chief, God is the sovereign good of all who love and obey him. And then the word sovereignty, it means supreme power, supremacy. The possession of the highest power or of uncontrollable power. Absolute sovereignty belongs to God only. Now, as we go through the study tonight, again, you will hear the words sovereignty and dominion. But again, understand that these words go hand in hand together. So God's dominion is referring to his natural dominion. He is the creator of all things. He is sovereign over them. His gracious dominion as well falls under God's dominion. And this is his sovereignty over his redeemed people in the covenant of grace. His glorious dominion also falls under God's dominion as a judge and sorry, as a judge, he will reign over all either in mercy or in justice. And this point is important to know and remember, because what the scripture tell us, scripture says that 
every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Right. Every every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. We're familiar with that. But turn with me to Isaiah chapter 45, verse 23. Isaiah 45:23. And I'll actually back it up to verse 22. It says, "Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back. That to me every knee will bow." Every tongue will swear allegiance. Again, the Apostle Paul repeated this in Romans chapter 14, verse 11. <clears throat> and in Romans 14, 11, He says this, he says, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord to me, every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess to God. And then if we flip over to Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two, verses nine through eleven. Philippians two, verses nine through eleven. And starting in verse nine, it says, therefore, God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. So we want to. Remember this, that Christ or God as judge, as judge, he will reign over all, either in mercy or in justice. So not only do we see that God, Yahweh, is sovereign, Jesus Christ, who is Lord, is sovereign over all. As well. God is powerful. In fact, he is all powerful. And we spoke about his omnipotence a few weeks ago. By his strength, the Lord can do whatever it is that he wills. However, within that, we must remember that the Lord has the authority to do what he wills. He does not need permission before he acts in great power, nor is there anything that can hold his power back. But as earlier described in the definition of the word sovereignty, God's power is uncontrollable. Remember, however, that the power that the Lord exercises is not empty, tyrannical power. 
So when we say uncontrollable, it's not as if the Lord is acting in a haphazard manner. When he acts, it serves a, a purpose as no action of God's is ever wasted. When the Lord exercises his authority, it is never for evil, tyrannical pleasure, but it is always for good because God is infinitely good. He has full dominion over all. Stephen Sharnock says this. He says God's dominion is his right to make what he pleases, possess what he has made and dispose of what he possesses according to his pleasure. This is God's right as sovereign Lord. And when he exercises an act of sovereign dominion or authority, we have no right to sinfully question God for what he does. Now, the Lord is gracious enough to allow us to come to him as his children for a better understanding of his actions as he is an all loving father. But we should never sinfully challenge the actions of the Lord so as to tell him he should have done something or that he should have acted in a different way. That's approaching the Lord sinfully. But we can go to him as our all loving father and gracious father and ask him for better understanding. But it's all going to point back to his sovereignty, his dominion over all. So God's dominion, the Lord made all things. Um, <clears throat> and he he owns all things. And as as king, he is Lord over all and has an absolute right over all that he has created. All things that the Lord has made, he has made them all for himself. Let's turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17. And we'll look at verses 24 and 25. So starting in verse 24, it says the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. So the Lord has made all things. And he has made them for himself. Proverbs chapter 16, verse four. If you want to write this down, it says this. It says Yahweh has made everything for its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of 
evil. Yahweh has made everything for its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. And some translations of this verse say that God has made everything for his own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. One theologian says this. He says, God is not nor cannot be the author or cause of any wickedness in his creature. And therefore, this verse ought to be understood as thus. All mankind having been corrupted in Adam, God nevertheless preserves them and causes them to be fruitful, to draw and save out of them the number of his elect leaving the reprobate in their original deprivation by which and by the wicked acts that they <clears throat> they derive from this he ordains them to just punishment to the glory of his justice revelation chapter 4 verse 11 it says Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And because of your will and for thy pleasure, some translations say they existed and were created. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor. And power for you created all things and because of your will, they existed and were created. The Lord's dominion is seen in a special way towards his chosen sheep, his elect ones. Turn with me to first Peter chapter one. And we'll read from verse one through verse five. It says this, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as exiles scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the father, by the sanctifying work of the spirit to the obedience of Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and unfading, having been kept in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We are the Lord's chosen ones, and he has paid a great price for us and for those who are in Christ. And this gives God special claim on us. 
as his children, as his sheep. First Corinthians chapter six, verses 19 and 20. It says this. It says, or do you not know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and that you are not your own for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. See, God has chosen us and shown us his love in a special way. He has a special claim on us, and we of all people are especially bound to serve him. It's our duty to serve him, and we should joyfully serve the Lord. Keep in mind that God was not obligated to save sinful man. This was a sovereign act. Sharnock says this. He says, God acts sovereignly as redeemer. In the work of redemption, this dominion is exercised not only over man, but also over Christ, the son. Thus, God is called the head of Christ. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse three, not in terms of divine essence, which is co-equal with the father, nor in terms of his human nature, but in terms of the economy of redemption. The whole gospel is nothing but a declaration of God's sovereign pleasure concerning Christ and concerning us in him. God is sovereign and he lovingly redeemed us. We should always be thankful to God for salvation. Never forget each and every day we are to remind ourselves of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Remember the love of God for us. So his redemption of man was a sovereign act, a loving, sovereign act. Any questions or, or comments? No. OK, so the nature of God's dominion. God's dominion is an absolute dominion. The proper name Lord only applies to him. All else are lesser lords who are subject to God. God is free in his dominion over all things, bound to nothing outside of himself. And as we spoke about before regarding God's goodness, in his goodness, he bestows more to some than he does to others. He is free to do so. How much he gives to one and what he withholds from another in no way diminishes the goodness of God. He is free to give when and how much he chooses. He is Sovereign over all. He has dominion over all things. The Lord is also free to allow some to be sick 
and some to be well. This is how God acts in his dominion, in his sovereignty. Some sickness that the Lord inflicts upon a person remains until that person dies. Others, he sovereignly and graciously heals. But this is for his glory and to show who he is. By his providence, he heals believers and unbelievers. Sometimes he heals the unbeliever while the faithful saint is left to suffer. But is God at fault for this? Is he wrong for doing this? No. He is sovereign, even over sickness. John chapter 9, verses 2 and 3 gives an account of the man who was of a man who was blind and Jesus gave sight to him. And in these verses, it says this, it says, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this was so that the works of God might be manifested in him. God is sovereign over these things, over sickness, over affliction. Whether he heals or continues to afflict, we should always give him thanks. As the scripture says, in everything, give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 18. We should always trust God's sovereignty in the trying times of sickness and affliction, whether it be a sickness or uh, an affliction of ourselves or of one of our dear loved ones. See, though we want for ourselves and for our loved ones to be healed, we should more so want for the Lord's will to be worked out by him in their lives and also in ours. We should for sure pray for the Lord's healing, because if that person is going to be healed, there is no other place that that healing comes from except from God. And we know that he is powerful enough to heal. He is the he is the person who created the the individual that is sick or afflicted and he can heal. But what we want to see more is God's will being worked out in their lives. So as we pray for the Lord's healing again, if that be his will. We have to know that the Lord may very well be working out something in the life of that person or even in you when it comes to his sovereign affliction. Listen to what J.C. Ryle says regarding affliction. Affliction, he says, is one of God's medicines. By it, he often teaches lessons which would be learned in no other way. By it, 
He often draws souls away from sin and the world, which would otherwise have perished everlastingly. Health is a great blessing, Ryle says, but sanctified disease is a greater. Prosperity and worldly comfort are what all naturally desire. But losses and crosses are far better for us if they lead us to Christ. Thousands at the last day will testify with David. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Psalm 119.71 says. So we have to trust the Lord's sovereign hand in affliction. See, not you see it a lot today in the prosperity gospel. Health, wealth, prosperity. You should not be sick. If you are sick, it's because you don't have enough faith. You should always be well. You should always be prosperous. They don't talk about God's sovereignty. In the fact that through what you are afflicted with, what you are suffering with, the Lord is working something out in you. This person may not even be a believer and you have a supposed teacher or preacher standing in front of them, telling them God wants you healthy and wealthy and prosperous. And if you just Say this prayer, you'll be healed. Or if you just give this amount of money, the Lord will see your faithfulness by this amount of money that you give and you or your loved one will be healed. That is not the gospel. That is another gospel. That is a false gospel. And we want to look more to the Lord's will and what it is that he truly desires for us. If we are to be afflicted from this day until we are put into the grave to God be the glory, because we know that he is sovereign over all things. But not that we cannot pray for healing and for the Lord's mercy and in affliction, you know, but we trust his sovereignty. There's the thing that's really prevalent in the church today. It's called dualism, mm-hmm. where people think Satan's attacking me and God is trying to protect me and we got to see who wins. I mean, I've heard this over the years and that's really another gospel. That's not the gospel. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I, I heard a lot of that even growing up. You know, and a lot of times people are praying to bind the devil, you know, bind the devil and speaking to him as, you know, if they are some kind of authority, you know, speaking, Satan, we bind you. Or they pleading the blood of Jesus. Pleading the blood of Jesus, yes. You should ask him, does it wash off? Right. 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 But. 
you know, for all of those prayers that go forth, binding Satan, you know, what's what's going on? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, how long is he bound? Right. <laughs> the sovereign authority and the power rest with God, right? The devil is God's devil, right? He cannot do a thing apart from permission from the Lord. The Lord is sovereign over all. So we we trust the Lord's sovereign hand in in affliction. A few more things regarding God's affliction. The Lord is free and beyond control of everyone. And sorry, I said affliction, but a few more things regarding God's dominion is what I meant to say. The Lord is free and beyond the control of anyone. He has no one to answer to. Daniel chapter four, verse thirty five, it says, and all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can strike his hand or say to him, what have you done? The Lord is free and beyond the control of anyone. Think about that for a second. There is no one to control God. You ever think about that? But what does he do with his creatures and creation? This God who is accountable to no one whose power cannot be controlled. What does he do? He shows us his goodness. How awesome is that? He shows us his goodness. Now, if any of you were free of all control and all accountability, how would you act? You don't have to answer that question. (laughs) But how would you act? How would all people act given unrestricted freedom, unrestricted accountability? How would they act? See, God is good, as we talked about last week. He continues to show his goodness each and every day. His his dominion, though absolute and unrestricted, is never tyrannical and does not operate independently from his other perfections. Sharnock says it is managed by wisdom, righteousness and goodness. All attributes of God, all perfections of God. He is accountable to no one outside of himself. He is good. God's dominion extends over all creatures. Everything that he looks upon under his rule, as Abraham Kuyper said, there is Not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. Everything is God's. Everything belongs to Christ. It's all his. Christ is God. 
God's dominion is eternal. He has always been king. He will always be on the throne, never to be unseated. As he always has, he will continue to rule and reign eternally. Psalm chapter 29, verse 10. If you want to write this down, it says Yahweh sat enthroned over the flood. Indeed, Yahweh sits as king forever. Lamentations chapter five, verse 19. It says you, O Yahweh, sit enthroned forever. Your throne is from generation to generation. The Lord's dominion is eternal. So before we go on, any any questions or comments? Okay, so where does God's sovereignty exist and how is it made known? That's what we'll take a look at now. So we'll look at God as sovereign lawgiver, God as owner of all things, and God as governor. So God as sovereign lawgiver. Isaiah chapter 33, verse 22. It says, for Yahweh is our judge. Yahweh is our lawgiver. Yahweh is our king. He will save us. James chapter 4, verse 12. It says, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? You who judge your neighbor. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 15. It says, by me, kings reign. And rulers mark out righteousness. So God as sovereign lawgiver. All authority is God's and all other authority is derived from him. All rulers and positions of authority should govern according to the righteous law of God. Rulers of the world have limited authority and their rulership does not extend beyond their borders. But God's rule and law is universal and there is no one who is not bound by it. It is God's law that is written upon the heart of every person. Romans chapter two, verse 15 says in that they demonstrate the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. See, this is an act of God's sovereignty, him as the sovereign law giver. He binds the consciences of men with his law. There is no other person that can bind the conscience but God. The conscience can be seared for sure, but it can never be unbound. The truth is suppressed in unrighteousness 
And if man does not pay attention to the prompting of the God given conscience, seek out God and turn from his wicked way. This seared conscience that man has will lead them straight to eternal wrath and destruction in hell, which God is sovereign over as well. God's moral law is based on his character and his glory. Other reasons for God's law for him giving the law are not so clearly defined and clear cut. Now, this kind of brings us back to a point that was brought up last week when the question was asked, you know, if, if I thought that the tree of knowledge of good and evil was either good or evil. And again, it doesn't matter what I think. We have to look beyond what I think to what the word of God says. And in Genesis chapter one, verse 31, scripture says, and God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. So, by implication, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was good within itself. It was as good for food as was any other tree. However, the Lord used that tree as a mark of his sovereignty and of man's submission. So. We saw what happened when man sinned against God. God, as a sovereign lawgiver, punishes lawbreakers according to his will, which is his right as sovereign judge. Sovereignty is not preserved without justice. Psalm chapter nine, verse 16. You want to write it down. It says Yahweh has made himself known. He has executed judgment. In this, we see that the Lord is known by his judgment. And when God seems to have lost his dominion, he recovers it with Punishment. Thus, the punishment of Adam and of fallen angels upon their sin. See, when man tries to act as God or to elevate themselves as God, so as to think that they can take dominion over what God has created, the Lord reminds them who he is. So God as owner of all things. Now, as we discussed earlier, the special showing of his dominion for his elect. As owner of all things from eternity, God freely chose his elect to receive his grace according to the kind intention of his will. 
Ephesians chapter one, verses four and five. Ephesians one, verses four and five. It says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love by predestinating us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. This was not based on anything that we have done. In fact, before we had a chance to do anything good or bad, the Lord chose us in his sovereignty. He chose us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. We are saved by grace alone. Through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. And we must pause and understand that this faith that saves us is a faith that we did not possess. It was a faith that God sovereignly gave to us to exercise toward the object of faith. Jesus Christ, we did not possess the faith to say yes to God, nor did we have the sense to do so. It was given to us by God. He owns it. We cannot boast. This is nothing that we do. God sovereignly saved us. He is continuing to save us, as 1 Corinthians 1.18 says. He keeps us from stumbling, as the book of Jude says, and will ultimately save us. He will glorify us and will remove the stench of sin from us in eternity. This is God's sovereign hand. As owner of all things, God bestows grace where he pleases. He dispenses the means of grace to some, but not to all. God is the one who determines the influence of the means of grace. So when the gospel is preached, the true gospel of Jesus Christ is preached, though the call goes out to all. Freely, not all under the sound of the preaching are saved. Some may buckle under the preaching of the gospel, under the weight of God's grace and his power. They may buckle and fall to their knees in repentance and faith to the Lord. Others may not. They may just receive it as good teaching and something to moralize themselves by. Still, others may be hardened and sometimes to their core against the call of the gospel, which goes out freely. And that is a burden of 
preaching the gospel and also sharing the gospel with others. Because you know that if that person does not turn to God through repentance and faith in Christ, you know their eternal destiny. But you know also that it hardens them when they shun that goodness of God, the truth of the gospel that comes. They're hardened. And that is a burden of preaching. That is a burden for each and every one of us. Whenever we share the gospel, it's the same gospel, the same gospel. But there are different results. And see, this is all determined by the sovereignty of God, how that person responds. We pray that, yes, they do turn to God from sin. We honor that duty, that call that God places upon us to share the gospel, to preach the gospel, the true gospel. Don't water it down. Don't try to lessen it, to make it more attractive to somebody. The true, unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ, explaining to man his condition apart from God, explaining why the good news is, in fact, good news, because the horrible news is that if you do not turn to God from sin, you will suffer eternally. And you right now are separated from God. You don't have another moment that is promised to you. All that you have is from this sovereign God. The breath that you just breathe is borrowed from the sovereign God. You borrowed it and you're not even going to give it back. <laughs> that is what God gave to you. Don't turn away from his his goodness. Turn to him from sin so that you can receive this mercy, this grace, this mercy that is offered. God, as the possessor and giver of knowledge in his sovereignty, gives a greater measure to some than to others. Daniel chapter two, verse 21, it says, and he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and establishes and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11 says, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. So we have God, the father who is sovereign, Jesus Christ, whom we said is sovereign. Now we see the work of the spirit here. The spirit is sovereign. The triune God is one. God as governor again. Daniel chapter two, verse 21, it says, and he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. This is God acting as sovereign governor. 
in the book of Daniel, the empires that were prophesied to fall came crumbling down. Babylonian, Persian, Greek, Roman, they came tumbling down. And it can very well happen to this country as well. Unless men turn to God through repentance and faith in Christ. You see so many things that the United States is God's country. But so many people act in opposition to the God of the Bible. So what God are you talking about? And further and further, the country goes into sin. We see God's judgment through the depravity of man. And it just seems to keep getting worse and worse and worse. But listen, the same thing can happen to this country as well. Unless man repents and turns to God. See, first, the church. The church has to get its head out of the gutter and turn to God. Repent of sin. Turn to God. Call sinners into repentance and faith. Proverbs 21.1, it says, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of Yahweh. He turns it wherever he pleases. So all of the wicked plans that are devised by man, by evil rulers, evil governments against God will crumble. He laughs at the plans of wicked men. He knows all of their secret plans. Psalm chapter two, verse four, it says he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord mocks them. As governor, the Lord sends judgment upon whom he pleases. The Lord sends judgment upon whom he pleases. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39 says this. It says, see now that I, I am he and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded and it is I who heal. And there is no one who can deliver from my hand. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39. So that is God as owner of all things. Before we move on, any any questions or comments? All right. So what can we learn from all of this? What can we learn? Number one, understand that man hates the fact that God is sovereign. Hates it. They do not want to fall under the rulership of God. Man is determined to show that he is in control of his own destiny. He would rather continue on in sin than to fall under the sovereignty of God. But this is foolish because man cannot escape 
the sovereignty of God, even in hell, where they are destined to go should they not repent and turn to the Lord. See, sin is what drives this contempt of God's dominion and sovereignty. As Satan did, attempting to become like God, so he tempted man with this same evil. Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, he said, For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Man today is still tempted by this same thing. To be ruler and break away from the dominion and sovereignty of God. Psalm chapter two, verse three, it says, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. Evil man wants nothing to do with God. All of what God commands, they want to break those fetters away. They do not want to be controlled by God. They would rather be a God unto themselves. Number two, in God's sovereignty, he can do no wrong. See, God never needs to apologize for anything. Everything that he does, he has a right to do it. He is the owner of all things. He gives and takes away as he pleases. He can do no wrong. Romans chapter 11, verse 36, it says for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. So the Lord can do with what he has created with his possession as he wants to do what he wishes to do with it as he pleases. See, whatever we have is the Lord. So we should freely give in honor to God. Time, talent, money, resources. The Lord owns it all. Whatever we give back to him, understand he already owns it. So we don't need to hold with such a tight grip the things that the Lord blesses us with. But we should look, see how we can share these things to the glory of the Lord. He already owns it. Next, God's sovereignty means that he is the ruler above all authorities. So what does this mean for us? It means that we should call all ungodly rulers into submission to God and call for them to rule according to God's revealed will. See, when they do this, we should act accordingly and obey them accordingly to the laws that they follow, that the Lord has set out. When they do not imitate God's justice, 
We must speak up and we must not obey ungodly rule. So that is why we do things here, like going and standing in front of city council who makes this the, the city of Pittsburgh a sanctuary city for mothers who want to murder their children. But then they put out a safety net for animals. Kill all the babies you want to. Don't touch the animals. Now, animals are God's creation and we should not abuse them. But when you look at the wickedness of man who puts an animal above the life of a human being and says that this animal should be protected, but you can kill as many of these babies as you want to. And the way that this country is going and the way that the world is going, it's getting later and later in pregnancy. There's no point at which it is okay. But this country, it's getting worse and worse and worse. I just saw something today where a lady, she's an OBGYN, and she said, listen, I forget which state it was in. I'll say Michigan. Don't hold me to that. But she said, listen, if we do not have the right to terminate babies full term, I'm leaving the state. This is what she said. Yeah, but, it, you know, it does. It sounds. Yeah, seriously. See you. Bye. But then she'll come here to Pennsylvania and same thing. But stay where you are. <laughs> but this just shows the wickedness and the depravity of of man. You know, and these are the things that happen in this country, in the United States. And yet we say God's country. I'm going to have a hard time proving that. Hard time proving it. But see, that's why we stand against these things. And we meet with the, the legislators, the ones who are able to put bills forth to get rid of these wicked things. You know, there's a, a, a Christian out in Oklahoma who just won a seat as as senator. You know, yeah, yeah. And he is going hard with everything that he said that he was going to do. I mean, even he's uh, making it to put put forth a bill to make it illegal to watch pornography or for sexting for couples that aren't married. This is a felony offense. This is what he's putting forth. That's the way to go. That is the way that we have to go. Because this world does not apologize for their wickedness and their hatred of God's sovereignty. They want to break away from everything that has to deal with God and drag as many people as they can down with them. For us, take 
comfort in the fact that God is sovereign. It is he who sovereignly saved us and nothing will separate us from the love of God. Romans chapter eight, verse thirty nine tells us as believers act accordingly, knowing that God is sovereign. We we should submit to all or submit all that we are to God and never act as our own authority. See, we even have struggles ourselves. We want to hold on to things and we want to struggle against God's sovereignty and God's power. And he lovingly breaks us of those things. But we still struggle with him. But we should be eager to give up all that we are ourselves to God, to be conformed to the image of his son. Our coming and going is determined by the Lord. As James 4.15 says, we should say, if the Lord, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Our coming and going is determined by the Lord. Remember that you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. First Corinthians 6.20. That price was the blood of Jesus Christ, who is sovereign Lord of all. Let us be careful to obey our sovereign Savior, who says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Praise God for that. Any questions? Any comments? One more thing that I did mean to mention, and this is just in regard to healing and the book of John nine, you know, and how, you know, just talking along the same lines of how some are so quick to pray. You know, the first question was asked, it was who sinned, this man or his parents for the reason why he is uh, afflicted here, the reason why he's blind. You know, and the rush is always to get to the healing. But even if you go back and read that chapter, John chapter nine, and see the story and how it unfolded, you know, the Pharisees wanted to know who it was that healed the man. And, you know, the man, you know, he's saying, you're asking me who healed me, you know, as if you should know that only God can heal. Right. But even his parents, they said, let's go to his parents. See, was this man truly born blind? The parents didn't want to answer. You know, what did what did they say? You know, they, they just deflected. Go to him. Go ask him. <laughs> you know what I mean? They didn't want to be put out of the synagogue. They feared man. Right. But even in that healing, he still did not know who Christ truly was. He knew 
who it was that healed him. He can look now and identify who it was that healed him, but he did not know Christ in a saving way. So, all of that to say that when a person is healed, if the Lord graciously heals them, does not mean that that person has a personal relationship with the Lord. Because even if he heals them and they have not repented of their sin and turned to Christ, that healed body will perish eternally apart from Christ. So what was more important, the healing or him knowing Christ? Him knowing Christ was John 9, 37 or 36. It says he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe? And this is after he came seeking Jesus out. And after finding him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believed and he worshiped him. So not only was the work of healing done, but the greater work of his sin being forgiven, his dead heart being made alive through Christ was accomplished. And that was the greater work. And that is the point. Even in our praying for God to have mercy in times of affliction on ourselves, on our loved ones, pray more for his will to be done. The greater work of if it's a believer, making them more like Christ. If it's an unbeliever, making sure that they know Christ through repentance and faith in the work that he did on the cross. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had together and we pray, God, that your word would accomplish its intended purpose. May we recognize you as the sovereign over all, knowing, God, that you are good through it all. There is nothing that you do, Lord, that is not good. And we may not understand everything as you act in sovereignty and your sovereignty, which you have the right to do. But God, you love us as your children more than we love ourselves. You know us better than we know ourselves. You care for us with a love that cannot be explained. And you allow for us, God, to seek you for understanding. God, as we seek you, may we continue to submit to your will, to your word and to your way. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.